All right, so today, <clears throat> programming training variables. This is something that you are very interested in. I think you're very good at it. Mm -hmm. I know you're not Maybe. the most egocentric guy <laughs> in the world, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you that you're, you're good at it. Um, controlling the variables, eliminating certain variables so you can focus in on things that contribute to results, get people to their goals, I think that's something that you do pretty well progressively over time. Um, so what are the major training variables that you're looking at that you? Um, so in a phase, definitely there's going to be the tempo, which I want to get back to since um, in the past when we've implemented it, it didn't really get followed too methodically by the clients, which is probably our own fault of just not hammering the importance of it. Reps, sets, rest, intensity. Um, so I guess you could categorize it as like volume, as like total reps, sets, and I guess weight too. So tonnage, people will say too, which is like the total weight of a training session. Density, so if you reduce rest, say you do five by five with two minute rest and then five by five by 90 second rest, 60 second rest, you're increasing the time uh, the amount of work done in a short so it's the same amount of work but done in less time so the density is increased so there's so many variables you can play with so to speak mm -hmm. or manipulate in order to progressively make exercise harder i think that's the goal also is to progressive progressive exercise progressive overload sometimes training programs are totally random then mm -hmm. and, and that's gotten a little bit more popular where every day is totally different there's no rhyme or reason to it, whereas we follow more of a traditional progressive manner of exercising where from one workout to the next, there will be progress made. And pretty much what you just said, you can shorten the rest periods, you can increase the reps, you can do more sets. So there's all these variables that you can manipulate almost like a soundboard where something goes up or down and you know in order mm -hmm. to elicit the training response that you're looking to get for each client and that goes all the way back to the assessment so walk me through you get a new client we'll use we we'll use a couple different examples but um like how do you go from client walks in the door with a specific goal and how do you take that and then eventually start to turn that into a, a progressive program. All right. So first step, <clears throat> talk to the client about, about the goal because they might be coming in with the goal. Um, why is that goal important if you want to get faster, if you're an athlete? So why do you want to get faster to be a better um, player on the team, be more of an asset? Um, just kind of build why that is important because without the why, it's like why why are you going to do it? Are you going to still come train? Um after a long day of school or you, you have some other life events you want to maybe do, like go to a party or something, but if, if there's some value and you see why it's important to in increase speed, then you're going to be more consistent. So kind of just building that, in, like re reaffirming that to them of, is it important? Is it so important that you're going to sacrifice some other things to prioritize it? learn about their training history. So if they've never picked up a weight before, that's something important to know because they'll have, they'll be a total blank slate. No bad habits, no good habits. Um, 
and they'll just need to learn everything from scratch, which is helpful um, if you know that going into it because then you could plan for it. Injuries, maybe in their sport they sprained an ankle, broke an arm, what limitations they might have in the past. If they have worked with someone before, what went well, what didn't went well, why are they seeking someone new? Um, so just learning about them and what their lifestyle is, what their training past has been, what their current lifestyle is, how much sleep are they getting, how much stress are they under. See, that's probably hard for you to verbalize, but <clears throat> when I see you do it, you are just a really good listener. You hone in on the key aspects that where sometimes I can, I'll jump to a conclusion for a client. You are really good at honing in on what they're saying. The you identify the main variables. Somebody comes in and they reference that they broke their arm, mm -hmm. uh, but then they continue to tell you that they want their bench press to go up. You here broke their arm, you, so you kind of check mark or red flag that to come mm -hmm. back to, whereas I'm like, oh, you want to get your bench press up. So I, I sometimes can jump to the conclusion where I think you're pretty good at seeing those key components, like, oh, that person's a beginner. They broke their arm. I'm going to start with dumbbell work. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think you do a pretty good job of isolating the variable and, like, really paying close attention to what the client's saying to get in tune with where they're at and where they want to go, whereas sometimes I feel like I can jump to conclusions a little bit based on what I think I hear versus what they're mm -hmm. actually saying. Well, that's probably what they want, too, is just, like, to start benching right away. Sometimes it sucks to come in and then you're regressed to, like, a dumbbell bench or something more remedial, even though the plan is longer term than just this current phase or a couple months um so yeah i could see like why why you'd want to do that and like there's still value in that too because it's kind of good to see where they're at in terms of the bench press right now and then using those other assistance exercises maybe dumbbell stuff to improve strength in that weaker side that was broken and atrophied a little bit so things yeah there's always ways to do it um, but in terms of consultation, so that's even like with the in-body is, is helpful because it does show you, show us our, their muscle mass. If that right arm was broken, maybe it's, it's the muscle mass is lower. So that's something that we could look at. Okay, that's something we need to work on is increase that muscle mass on this side versus that side. And that's where dumbbell exercises or single arm exercises are going to be more beneficial than just regular bench press and you're going to be doing more work with one side and the other side is building the imbalance even bigger. Um, so that's a, a good thing with the in-body, not just learning your body composition, but where the muscle is relative to the left side, the right side. So you're accumulating all this information and you're, t you're tying the pieces together. And then, so from that, then you have to now take all that information and plug it into a training program. What does it? What does that look like? Like what? How do you go through that process for each client? Like, are there go-to things, or are there? Again, are you listening for like keywords? You know, like how do you narrow it down? Mm -hmm. um, well, still, we uh, another part of the assessment we didn't touch on is like the movement, just to know if they do have imbalances. And so, the movement assessment is fairly basic, but it's a lot of the basic movements that build upon everything else so just a squat just being able to bend are they able to touch their toes do a push-up do a plank um, what's their core strength like core endurance so once you have all that then I'm thinking 
what was their goal? If their goal is to get faster, but they've never touched a weight, in terms of like strength continuum, I'd just start with strength. Because then you have strength on one side, speed on the other side. They're already doing a lot of speed stuff in their sport, running, sprinting. So just by working on the other side of the continuum, you could build that strength, which could transfer and should transfer over to speed. Um, so that's like a simple, simple thing to do first. And then based on the movement assessment, if they're a younger athlete and they have trouble squatting, that's going to be the priority. Make sure they have a good squat because it's going to be the foundation of a lot of other moves. So even just an air squat, building that air squat to be really good. So then they could do goblet squat or a front squat or a back squat, and that carries over into Olympic weightlifting, doing cleans sure. or power cleans. Muscle endurance, joint mm-hmm. control, yeah, all those kinds of things. Doing big compound movements, those are all popular things, but yeah, people jump too. Yeah. So a lot of times people want to improve like their vertical, but you see that their mechanics of a squat are so bad, it's like almost dan- dangerous to try to get them to do a bunch of plyometrics because they don't have the strength to control the descent so like having the a strong enough brakes so you build up that horsepower but they don't have the brakes to slow down and that's okay. where you could get sprains and rupture things so you go from the the goal goal setting verbal consultation getting to know the client and their training history then you move into like more of like a movement assessment mm-hmm. we get the the data from the in body what other what else is there that kind of goes into that recipe you got all these moving parts these are all these variables that but definitely if they're big like if they've trained before so someone that has no training needs to learn the movement usually it's a motor control thing you'll notice um the first time someone does like incline dumbbell bench which is a beginner movement we give a lot of people their ability to control where the, like they're all over the place the whole the whole rep so they just need to build that uh, motor control just by doing reps get the good tempo slow tempo so they can control it if they're going too fast and they're all over the place so starting with motor control especially for a beginner so then they could advance the movement later in in their training because um, without that solid foundation it's just going to be a recipe for disaster later on um, trying to do it on a bench press and they they're just bouncing the bar off their chest or they don't know how to get it in the right position at the bottom because they don't have that motor control. Um, so a lot of times with a beginner doing bench, they'll hit like a different part of their chest every rep just because they don't have that control of the weight. Um, so a beginner is like building up motor control and just basic strength um, with the basic lifts, bench, squat, bend. See, that's interesting because ju- jumping to someone's goal before you address what is actually limiting them can mm-hmm. be interesting. So uh, one of the things that I see is is athlete, athletes and athlete parents, when they first come in, they're always interested in speed and agility, so to speak. And that doesn't really look like my sport when I strength train. So there's a sport specificity. But when you look at their inability to control their body, if you're starting to ask them to be fast or control – like you said, decelerating quickly, mm-hmm. reaccelerating. That's kind of what sport is all about. So if they don't have any motor control of the joints that are moving their body, you could see where that would be counterproductive to do more of the same. So you have to ask them to do things that ask them to control the joints of their body and build more motor control. And sometimes that 
that comes from just controlling the most basic of movements, mm-hmm. single leg balances, you know, any kind of single leg work, yeah, stuff yeah. like that is going to pay dividend as their motor control improves. And then the contractions and things get more complex. That's where you're going to see increases in athleticism. For sure. Um, and then with that, like just building up some relative strength, like how strong can you get relative to your body weight? So that's what relative strength means um, for yourself. So like an absolute strength is, are you like the strength of the, everyone in the room? Are you the strongest? So you'd have the highest absolute strength, no matter what your weight is. Um, so yeah, just <clears throat> getting s- strong relative to your body weight. Are you able to squat your body weight, deadlift your body weight? do a bench press with a certain percentage. Usually there's a lot of um, people that have standards of weights they want you to do relative to your weight um, as like a test of fitness or strength. So sometimes we implement that. Sometimes it's like too specific towards a certain sport where it doesn't really apply to everyone. Um, But I think there's definitely good rules of thumb of squatting body weight or deadlifting one and a half depending male female being able to do single leg exercises with percentages of your body weight being able to do just do push-ups or pull-ups so that's more for the athlete population so we get clients on all ends of the spectrum so you're going to get clients that are looking to do general fitness Mm -hmm. general strength training how do you how do you account for that when you're assessing a new client Uh, how does that program look different from someone who has more of like a performance well, I guess it's less quantitative for a fitness person because um, maybe you don't need to be testing vertical and speed like that, but it's depending on their age, trying to progress them or just trying to maintain. So at a certain point, maybe you it's not feasible to try to keep progressing over and over, um, trying to improve, improve overall strength, but maybe you're doing one more rep at the same weight, so your strength endurance might be going up, you're still working on motor control, still building that, learning maybe new movements, but not so worried about improving your one rep max deadlift if that's not really going with your lifestyle and goals of being 90 and being able to play with grandkids and ski and ride your bike type of thing. So maybe it's more qualitative. Are you able to go up the stairs better, out of less out of breath, are you able to bike and not have hip pain, knee pain, shoulder pain? Uh, maybe so it's just looking, measuring different things opposed to just straight deadlift, power clean, vertical, broad jump, max wattage, 100-meter uh, sprint time. And so, yeah, so the goals are all over the map. Mm-hmm. So then you have to take the inf- – you have to get the information that you need, take those variables – and then construct a plan mm-hmm. that you and the client see eye to eye on. So, like, take me through that process. Like, how do you then take a fitness client versus an athlete client versus a more goal-driven? Mm-hmm. Well, I would start with basically, so in the consultation, what, how many days can you commit to training? What's your schedule like already? Maybe you're an athlete that has practice five days a week and you want to train three days a week. Where are these two, where are these sessions going to come from? So kind of just having realistic plans for your goals of 
when you could train. Does it make sense if you're in season to be trying to train four times a week? Probably not. So just educating them on what is a good split to do with their current lifestyle. So then once you figure out what days they'll be training, then you could create that split. Usually um, beginner full body is good good way to start since they'll be able to recover fast enough since the weights won't be heavy enough to warrant like too much soreness. Start with higher time under tension, learn the motor control. Um, and then as they progress, maybe switch to body part split if they're going to be able to hammer uh, the reps and the weight and the intensity enough where they need more rest to to recover. Um, but what what else were you asking in terms of just organizing it? Um, yeah, and then progressing those training variables of rep sets. Usually, uh, there's an inverse relationship between volume and intensity. So the more reps you do, the less weight you have to do which should make sense. So if you decrease reps, you could increase weight, which increases the intensity. So usually as you progress a phase, you might have sets of 10 to 12 for one phase and then six to eight. So that six to eight should be more intense than that 10 to 12. And then if there's deload weeks, things like that, take into account. But usually I'm thinking of what are the main things from the assessment that stand out. If it's a squat pattern, pressing is weak or pulling is weak, and then trying to progress those. We get, I mean, we, we have clients that have been here for 12 years. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty fascinating when you think about it. Giving someone progressive exercise for 12 years, like how do you set a client up for long-term success? For long-term success, yeah, just build that foundation of strength, right? Get the movements. That's like the hard thing with um, some clients that if their movement is limited, then you have a limited range of exercises to choose from. So increasing their ability to move and do certain movements opens up more doors for exercises um, for them to do, which might be good, might be bad. Sometimes if you're doing too much things, then it's harder to progress, but it does make it more interesting and something you could stick with longer. Um, but yeah, like just introducing new types of equipment like we have that change angles of squats or having things like that can definitely keep it more interesting for a client long-term of doing different exercises. And then it's just like in terms of long-term is if they're here for longevity, then it's just being consistent. It's it's more lifestyle now. If they know that they need to exercise for their lifestyle. It has long-term benefits. It has health benefits, mental benefits, um, stress relief. Um, they just understand the role it plays, right, in, in a healthy lifestyle. So it's more of keeping it fun. And sometimes progression isn't their goal necessarily of, I want to lift so much weight. It's more like I want to be at this body composition year after year. I don't want to be gaining fat type of thing. Um, so if it's a more of a body composition goal, then it's beyond the in-body a little bit more. That's more of the test, test and retest, see where they're at, see if their muscle mass is increasing, decreasing, what's going on with their fat percentage, and then just 
always using the test and then trying to look back at the exercise uh, program. Like if we went backwards, was it part of the program? Was it part of their lifestyle? Were they not following it right? Were they, was it just not enough for them to progress or maintain where they're at right now? So it's just always like reevaluating what they have done in the past, what worked in the past, what maybe it didn't work. So just using new exercises sometimes. That's interesting. So that's a whole nother variable, <clears throat> the client's ability to recover. Yeah. Because even if you're just moving the needle a little bit in terms of progression, if they're unable to continue keeping up with it or they're mm -hmm. suffering a setback here and there, you know, that's another variable to, to have to look into. Then you have to start looking into sleep. Yeah. So it's interesting that you go all full circle back to the assessment. You're getting information about their sleep. So then it's also important to be getting honest feedback from your clients because maybe when they came in during the assessment, they, yeah, my sleep's great. But then you come to uncover, you know, they're up three times a night or, mm -hmm. you know, staying up till one in the morning. And then, yeah, in their mind, sleep is great, but then you you'll ultimately ultimately arrive back at that variable mm -hmm. because it'll kind of you know come to that point so one of the conversations i had with a client the other day was eliminating variables and how it i, I think it makes the process easier for us and the client when they understand the process and they can start eliminating these variables because then we can help them eliminate variables more so we can come up with more ac accurate progression more accurate progressive overload and then design like really nice clean phases of of training or exercise for for that matter that you know ebb and flow with one another pretty nicely and keep people very consistent as opposed to that the kind of roller coaster of training yeah and then like um even like the lifestyle or like the life of a client right i know megan was saying when these have uh, new people do nutrition they start with exercise first so it's like once you do understand the exercises the movement maybe it's less coaching on form and more talking about what's your lifestyle outside of the gym are you sleeping enough what can we do to like improve that what are ways we could try to figure out how to get sleep quality better or learning more about nutrition talking about nutrition because um, sometimes if you're like looking back at someone and like, oh, last year I did more weight on this thing. Well, maybe last year your lifestyle was much different. Now you have a different job, you're at a higher position, your stress is different. You're not able to train as consistently. So kind of there's training variables, right? And then there's like life variables, like stuff that's taking you away from your ability to train a certain way. So kind of just balancing everything from in the gym, out of the gym, and just creating the program around that because sometimes you start at a gym and that's the priority for a couple of years and then maybe you have kids, you get married, you get a new job and things shift. So maybe it's less realistic to try to set a lifetime max in a lift now when your lifestyle might not support it as much as it did a couple of years ago. Um, so it's just talking with clients and having them understand like stress, like going to the gym, lifting weights is stress. What you do outside of the gym is also stress. You can only handle so much stress. So 
if you're adding stuff outside of the gym that's stress, how can we manage that? Like, how are we going to push more in the gym if stress outside of the gym is at the highest it's ever been? So just finding the balance, right? That's like a hard thing, I think. Um, even people that want to get stronger, but they have a hard time resting. So they always need to be doing some something, you know, like maybe they're doing long runs or long bike rides every time they're not in the gym and their legs aren't be able to recover yet they want to get stronger in the squat or deadlift so just kind of talking about what's what stress is being put on their body and is that maybe that's what they need they need to exercise every day but just like understanding you need to recover in order to gain that strength that you say you want, but maybe your actions aren't always aligned with it. So just finding the right alignment of what you're doing inside the gym, outside of the gym. And because again, if you want to lose weight, but your actions are to go out with friends every weekend or get takeout food during the week, it's going to be hard because um, it's easy to say you want to lose weight but if your actions are showing it in a different light so I don't even remember what was you were asking there's some good <laughs> stuff in there I feel like the only thing I'm going to say is like interjecting confusion on the points you've already made like what? Like, well I just like following up on those ideas cause like but there is like no absolutes right there's like also like strange anomalies where people can handle a lot of stuff but it's like it's more like how no like well you, you know though that uh, there's the the like rule of thumb like if you really understand something you can make it simple mm -hmm. that's where i think you're good you you make it simple and you narrow it down to one variable you want to lose weight you need to do this and that's it and it eliminates the confusion for clients mm -hmm. and that's what I see being your draw, you know, you even do that for me sometimes. Like I'll, I'll be weighing all these different variables. I'll give you an example client or a situation mm -hmm. and you'll ask just a very precise question. Well, how much is he sleeping? Or, you know, yeah. something like that, that gets to the heart of the matter. I'm like, yeah, that is a good question. You know, like here I'm caught up in the beautiful mind, all these variables. And then you're just like, yeah, it's why don't you look into that? True. Yeah. There are like little things sometimes when you're like in someone's program and it's hard to have like the bird's eye view of it. Like you get lost. In yeah. It. It's like. Um, well, that was the roadmap analogy. Mm -hmm. Like I need to go here and here's a nice direct straight line. But then now we kind of got over here. How do you get back on that path? And I think sometimes that can happen. You get caught over here, you know, you and the client. Right. You know, maybe there's confusion that we're creating, like you said. Mm -hmm. And you got to get your way back on the path and, and get ultimately back to where the client wants to go, needs to go. Yeah. That's another, like, thing with, um, I think the consult and assessment is really just trying to nail down what someone really wants because sometimes they'll say things and then, Obviously, it's okay to change your goals, but 
if you're changing your goals every month, maybe it's something else. So it's like, it's hard to progress if you wanted to do push-ups this, like you initially just wanted to do push-ups and now it's something totally different. So you have to like re replan the whole phase um, or like the whole program. So it's just understanding like, why do you actually want what you say you want? Like, how's it gonna benefit you? Um, on the on the flip side, I, th I feel like sometimes people, myself included, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to make it a clean process. Like, I want to increase my, I wanna snatch 150 kilos and then I'll try to organize it. And then you try to go in and then you hit a snag and you get sidetracked like, man, I didn't even get past this, you know? Mm -hmm. Now I gotta figure out my sleep and nutrition's not supporting the amount of yeah. activity. So then you do gotta get sidetracked and then you're like, well, I already blew it like forget <laughs> it throw it out start over you know it's just like yeah you can just keep going mm -hmm. you don't have to revamp and go back to the drawing board every every little pitfall it is kind of that wandering path a little bit like ideal world it's just a straight line yeah but yeah never and it is easier kind of with like beginners too but as you get further along there's a little bit more of a challenge to like intermediates and even advanced you know mm -hmm. like I just had a client went through an entire training cycle just to add one kilo to her lift, two pounds to her lift. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's kind of what it takes when you get to that point. Yeah, but yeah. Also eliminated a lot of variables during that phase. And it just allowed us to hone in on a couple mm -hmm. technical things and a little bit more loading in this exercise and got another kilo. So it's right, part right. of the journey. Yeah, that's like the fun <laughs> thing about it too is like somewhat – like experimental of, I think uh, we get in our own heads and sometimes like have self-doubt about what we give people. But it's like, if you know this is like a good 12 weeks, if you do it again, but maybe this time you, you eat better and you sleep better, let's see what happens. Um, what if we do more recovery? What if we work more on like, this program should, if you do it, should get you some good results but like maybe the last time you did it you weren't all in on it maybe there's some things that could have been changed maybe um you're you know there's just any life stress or variables kind of affected you from having the highest intent like on that program so you know just right was adjusting it the program yeah. or was it yeah. right yeah that's a good point because yeah there's variables you could change outside the gym that will help you inside the gym so if right. you're sleeping better hydrating maybe you're trying a, a new supplement this time versus not or Do maybe ever, this time you're not dieting and you're trying to eat actually straight. the right yeah. amount of weight or uh, ca calories do you, ever, do you ever feel like you have too many variables like do you ever feel like lost or do you always feel like you can pinpoint is more information better um, or is there a point where it's I feel like as long as it's not more opinion, <laughs> if it's like real data versus just like, I think I should be doing this or I think I should be doing that. I felt this way. or Yeah. Yeah. I feel like at some point past the beginner phase, the client earns the right to kind of, mm -hmm. that sounds bad to say. <laughs> you, you have the right. It's like they can, they can weigh in. They can give you some opinion. 
or they'll give you feedback that really matters. Right. But I do think it, it, yeah, that's a good point. Like you need some, something to go along with that feedback because it's just like a feeling, you know, if you mm-hmm. get sore, I notice like clients will get sore when they're new and it's only going to last for a couple of days and they have a tough time differentiating between soreness and some kind of like injury or setback. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's a learning curve to that where, you know, in two days, like I've had a conversation numerous times, like I have this thing like this muscle right here I'm like if in two days it's not improving drastically then let's have that conversation yeah, but, yeah. you know like they they think that that soreness is something serious that they need to attend to where it's more just a normal right yeah so, like, so you're getting that feedback but then if you kind of go down that path oh boy like you know yeah that was too much. I got to scale it back. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, you're changing it too often. Then you're not letting them go through the program to actually, like, progress. Right, right. Yeah, and, it's, like, I like with beginners just to start it less, have them, like, succeed. If you, like, throw too much at them, they get too sore. They're, like, failing a lot of things. I feel like that is not going to be successful long term, like, in terms of them enjoying training. Uh, obviously it should be difficult but not to the point where it's like breaking you down and you like are dreading going into the gym because um it's like just uncomfortable failing and you don't feel like you know what you're doing in there so it's like building their strength and their like confidence in the gym setting um but i think like in terms of why you would even work with a coach is to try to take advantage of the expertise of like we've worked with how many hundreds of people so it's like trying to weed out all the in- there's so much information on training and diet and all this stuff out there it's it's super confusing um so just having a path to take like just eliminating the, the uncertainty of where should i start uh, sometimes that's what it is it's like there's so much out there like you don't even want to start because you don't think you found the right thing yet i had too many thoughts right there <laughs> like what uh, I was talking to Katie and we were talking about writing programs and like thoughts and if you think about the sheer number of training programs and days of exercise that'd be fun to kind of pull up and try to calculate a rough mm-hmm. estimate of how many workouts and now you've been at it for a long time too mm-hmm. you get to the point where you're kind of like that old guy hanging out at the gym like you have a set of knowledge that might be so disconnected and how do you convey some of that wisdom into the program or, you know, Mm -hmm. communicate that information that somebody who's brand new, there's, there's, there's a lot to, to unpack for people. Yeah. We've, we've tried so many things like you name it. We've tried it. A lot of exercise science has been done, but then you got to take that and, implement it and there's a lot of different ways you can implement it because if you hone in on one variable and then over the lifetime of a client and you know take katie trainer here she started as she was initially she was a soccer player in high school eventually got to soccer player in college started training for figure competitions did competitive crossfit so i mean if you look at the life of just one client as, mm-hmm. an, as an example how many different 
training programs, how many days of exercise, how many six-week plans, how many annual plans. I mean, you're looking at like seven years of training for one person. Yeah. There has to be some guiding principles, you know, but. Yeah, I think that's where like just the having a good foundation of movement and um, being able to do those compound lifts very well so that you have a base to, to build off of it. It all like comes down to that at some point, and then the the accessory lifts to boost those lifts. Um, if you have weakness in an area of a lift, you can use accessory lifts to build strength where you're lacking in in a certain position, and then hopefully increase that compound lift. So I think if you have good movement, that's like why having a flexible beginner is so much easier than an injured beginner that you have three things so hopefully you don't get bored of these three movements and riding the bike um, but that's kind of like what's necessary to begin with until you have more exercises accessible to At you your disposal yeah that, that's an interesting thing that you said about progress kind of opens the door so some people that like to exercise a lot like somebody might want to come in four or five days a week but if yeah like you said if they're limited in movement mm-hmm. there's only so many things that we can do yeah so if you want to come four or five days a week it's, it's going to be hard to plan you know right four and a half hours worth of exercise when you can mm-hmm. ride the bike and yeah know, yeah i mean that's limited. like too sometimes <laughs> like maybe we think people need want more variety than they need or like than they then we think they need um, but then you also have to realize there's people that run and only run and they'll run 20 hours a week and that's plenty. That's, that's that one thing is perfect for them. Well, that's the spectrum that. too. And then you get people that think that every day should be different, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's a hard thing. I heard a good analogy was, uh, someone was complaining about doing the same thing. I was like, do you go to football practice? And like, oh, we're doing blocking again yeah it's like that's predominantly what you know there's like there's basics and there's staples in each Mm -hmm. program in a fitness plan yeah like i gotta sweat again it's like (laughs) that's kind of the purpose right right yeah more squats i mean yeah there's like things i guess we have certain biases of what we believe people should be capable of doing um so it's like not being too too into that of like our own biases right and then uh trying to help them with their goals yeah but variety too can also be something that can get you in trouble because your variety is a bit of a stress so like if the first time you squat with somebody and they're not very good at squatting and you do an air squat and then you immediately do a overhead squat and then the next time a front squat, like that might be too much variety yeah. where it's too challenging, too fast, where someone didn't really build up the coordination for the air squat. Now you're asking them to do more complex versions of a squat, but they don't have the basic foundation to move into more variety. So variety can be, you know, it's it's interesting. It's kind of up there with intensity and mm-hmm. all these other things where it's coming too fast, where they can't even control the movement yet. And now it's already shifting and, Mm-hmm. becoming more dynamic and complex and yeah i think it's like just finding what are those base movements that um, have like the highest carryover and biggest benefit 
because there's always some like weird exercise but it's like maybe it's not like a novelty but like it doesn't have really much transfer to anything beneficial so like if you were to push the sled every day that's probably gonna benefit you more from just doing calf raise every day you know something like that something more big muscles compound probably better off and so that's where you know everyone starts to develop their own system Mm -hmm. so then you have like crossfit you have orange theory you have um just different ways of organizing training and so everyone has their own style influence on how to organize it and the nice part about the individualized and you know for you that's the nice part about us collaborating too is your style might be slightly different from my style but we are ultimately abiding by similar principles so there's good Mm -hmm. exercise science principles guiding what we do and I, I try to do that that when I look at people's variables and I pinpoint what variable I want to, I, I always want to feel like I can back it up with some kind of credibility or somebody's done this before we have an idea of how to train this, you know, somebody has a shoulder issue. Mm -hmm. You look at the shoulder issue, come up with a protocol that, you know, has some kind of scientific backing, you know, rotator cuff instability. All right, well, let's, do some stability exercises for the rotator cuff. You're just, you know, isometrics are a great place to start. Let's do isometric rotator cuff work for this first four week mm-hmm. phase, you know, something like that, just yeah. to be able to back it up with. For sure. Also just like us learning new things, right? Like applying it or maybe adjusting it so it can, ab- we could apply it in our setting. Cause there's lots of, the, lots of programs and exercises, <laughs> but like, if something is too hard to implement, like what's it's no good, but like a lot of people have been doing the bulletproof knees. So it's like something that's can be done in like six minutes and it has good carryover. So just like being part of a warm up, um, it's easy to apply and the benefits are there. So um, just like analyzing what's out there and what works and how can we use it in our facility. Um, or maybe it's it wouldn't work in our facility. Maybe it doesn't work in a group setting, but in a one-on-one setting it would work because it's very, like an eccentric overload is something hard to do. Right, or something that has to be very precisely yeah. coached. Mm-hmm. That's where the sleds are nice. You talked about that earlier. There's so many different variations you can do with a sled, and most people when they first come in are functional enough to use some variation of the sled Mm -hmm. just a little bit of external resistance you push it you pull it you can drag it sideways drag it backwards push it backwards so it's it's an easy tool to get Mm -hmm. good training for for just about anybody for sure so yeah that's another thing like what goes into the program is safety like it needs to be an exercise or a movement that they could do safely usually that's based on the assessment if there's something that stands out like oh yeah we'll eliminate overhead pressing for this person for a while and maybe try it uh in a couple months just based on the assessment like the inability to lift your arms overhead is gonna make that movement not hit the muscles it's supposed to it's just gonna be a low back thing um so just picking safe movements that people could progress over time versus having variety for the sake of variety with no real plan behind it other than just we don't want them to be bored, but it's not the safest option for them. 
Well, I mean, also in terms of like the group setting, having the program not be so complex where they need one-on-one attention. So kind of it could build build off itself of if you need a always every day everyone needs one-on-one attention that's not going to work in the the gym we have set up with a, a coach and six to nine athletes or members at once so having exercises that aren't so complex where you need really specific coaching all the time it's something you could cue from far away or just make adjustments um again why it's important to have that those foundational movements of because if you could do a really good air squat then the chances of you doing a good goblet squat are there sandbag squat back squat the principles it's just the load and how it's placed on you is differently so maybe it's you just coaching them on how to set up for a front squat or a back squat instead of keep your knees aligned this or keep your back flat chest up learning how to breathe so once you le- learn the basic stuff, you could build upon it, and then it's really it becomes as a coach easier to manage a group when people already know how to do those major lifts. Progressive exercise. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because there's principles that overlap, whether it's fitness or athletes or strength or Olympic weightlifting. A lot of the principles still apply. It has to be progressive, structured. The more random your training is, then you really can't recreate it. Mm-hmm. So you'll see some really fit people, and then they couldn't recreate how they got to where they got if they wanted to, just because it's been random tidbits for years and years and years. And then when they go to try to take somebody through a program, it's they they look for that same magic and randomness, and it doesn't necessarily happen because mm-hmm. it was it was random. That's a nice part about going back to progressive yeah having some principles well it's interesting because like we can't harp too much on a client because i feel like we're always trying to get better at Mm -hmm. communicating and that's i mean that's really where the podcast started and where content Mm -hmm. is important you have to communicate clearly to a larger audience it's one thing when you're doing it one-on-one like when we first started the the gym it was when you had a new client, you were very hands-on and the coaching was super intense. And we didn't have the technology at our d- disposal. It's like the dinosaur could have yeah. you know, went back in my day. <laughs> but you had to coach people hard and like get them up to speed so that if you did turn your back, that's kind of my, uh, mo- that's how I parent also. Like if I turn around, are these kids self-sufficient without me? Mm-hmm. Can you pour your own cereal? You know, like you you, cre- you create able-bodied clients for life. Today was a good example. I got here. I forgot my computer at home. There were nine people here that could work out fully, and it was pretty cool. Dave was, Dave goes, yeah, go ahead. He's like, we all know what we're doing. We're all pretty self-sufficient, and that's oh, so you went home and got it. Yeah, nice. and that's ultimately what we're trying to create, which is weird, right? Because you're. You have clients, but that's the goal is they're self-sufficient and they do become more self-sufficient over time. And that's where it gets more fun because you're eliminating the variables. So you're not having similar discussions and like the, we used to use the joke like 51st dates where every day it was like Groundhog Day, like 
what's power clean? <laughs> or, you know, like you <laughs> yeah, get yeah. past the basics and you can get into more advanced concepts and you can really equip people to, to work out for life. For sure. Yeah, that's a good reason to learn the exercises because if it's always the basics, oh, how do I how do I do this squat? Then we can't really progress into more complex exercises, which is another training and variable, like exercises in themselves, going from more basic stuff to more complex exercises. And you could teach a man to fish or you could take him to Long John Silvers. <laughs> <laughs> do they still have those? Is that the place with the cheddar biscuits? Or is that Red That's Lobster? That's Red Lobster, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been to a Long John Silver's. <laughs> cheddar biscuits are a little ridiculous. Ridiculously good, that's for sure. That was your nickname in high school, Cheddar Biscuit. <laughs> I was trying to think, because I was, I was talking to Katie the other day, and I was like, I know where my, <clears throat> I know where I get lost. Kind of that last point, that was one of the new skills that I had to learn, because usually I was here. So everything I wrote, I could be here to interpret. And then when I had to start writing exercise that I was not going to see somebody go through, I had to think in terms of what you were just saying, that that person has to be able to go through that when I'm not here, and it has to be able to be interpreted by another coach and mm -hmm. a client when I'm not there. So the intent of the exercise has to be pretty clear. The sets and the – like it all has to make sense without me being there. And that's that's a newer skill, and it's different. It's kind of like that remote – Yeah mindset where I I had to acquire that skill I did not have that right off the bat because then I, I would know what my client needed and I knew I would be there and I'd be like oh so the way I didn't have to write it in a certain way or if I knew that this was going to be this was going to be a 50-50 shot of whether or not they were ready for this and I, I could coach them through it then I might put it in but then if I know that I wasn't going to be there I would probably err on the side of caution, whereas I'd, I'd, yeah, I yeah. would have to give them something I knew would be successful mm -hmm. without me being in the mix. Yeah, so something maybe more remedial versus trying to progress them. Right. And progressing too aggressively is a problem also. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself like rooting for your client, maybe they should only progress this far, but they're like, maybe. I think, I think they're ready based on that last workout. I think mm -hmm. they might be ready. Yeah. And you kind of jump, you know, it's usually that that's something that that I struggle with sometimes because I think they're ready or I'm right there with them and I'm kind of I'm rooting for them as opposed to mm -hmm. just being the responsible coach that I should be. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard because, like, I know I've done a phase that was, like, 24, 26 weeks just to improve three lifts, so it's... It's hard um, as a business because you want to show results along the way, right? You can't be like, okay, in half a year, six right. months, these numbers will go up. Um, but you got to be able to show that progress um, on the on the way to on the way to that point. So it's kind of just factoring in where you can you show progress. Is it maybe your techniques better, which will long term have benefits maybe um your ankle isn't collapsing when you squat now maybe your core strength is better so like finding ways to show progress maybe in smaller ways instead of like your one rep deadlift which a more advanced person maybe will only test once a year um so things like that of 
maybe it's a three rep you're you're measuring now instead of one rep is kind of something you have to balance when it's maybe like a paid paid program that we're giving to someone else versus like for ourselves we know like six months yeah nothing's really gonna you won't measure too much other than like rep maxes instead of a single rep max which kind of like makes it a little different training like ourselves versus our clients that is a challenge too and people man there's a lot there but let's say somebody comes in with a back was was a successful weightlifter and they came in they come to you with a, a back injury it might take 12 weeks to resolve the back injury and they sign up for the three-month training package mm -hmm. so it's hard to be like they're coming in with best intentions like hey i need you to fix me in ideal world i get you know back to yeah. lifting new prs and stuff like that but in reality the 12 weeks is going to be spent trying to dig you out of the hole that we're Soft tissue takes time. Yeah. You know, and realistically, a couple times a year, the more advanced you are, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get like two peaks per year. When you're a beginner, you're gonna make gains really fast. But as right. you get more advanced, yeah, you're looking at, you're gonna work really hard for some opportunities to attempt a PR. So it's mm -hmm. yeah, trying to keep it fun and interesting and somewhat yeah. progressive. But there is some eating your vegetables to it you know like mm -hmm. sometimes you just got to come in and train and yeah just put the work in hit the reps and hit the road you know like i even think i feel like you should have certain phases of the year where you're and i'm seeing it more with this, some of these nutrition apps is there's phases of the year where you're cutting and phases of the year where you're maintaining or bulking mm -hmm. but i do think this this diet culture and it can it can be counterproductive detrimental to people's health long term yeah there are a lot of thyroid issues and stuff like that and i think it uh yeah just chronic under eating or malnutrition and yeah eventually you're not going to feel right and you might actually see things start to change for the worse well that's interesting too like in terms of diet i think people approach it in a non-progressive way so if you wanted to reduce calories by like 500 a day Maybe start with 100, reducing by 100, and then 200, and 300, and then and then eventually, instead of going straight to 500, and then you make it a week and you fail, and then you just give up. So, how can you make it progressive? Or say you want to like eat a more plant or like a whole foods type of diet. So instead of getting um, a McMuffin is your normal thing maybe you go to the grocery store and get a microwave mcmuffin so now you're not going to mcdonald's for it you're making it at home and then instead of microwaving it maybe you're now you're buying the english muffin and the sausage patty and then you're actually cooking it yourself which i would say is higher value to do it yourself versus going somewhere to buy it so now you're like even though you're eating the same thing you're working towards being closer to just like having eggs and oatmeal or eggs english muffin um so progressive in that way like just doing little things one one day at a time to kind of get closer versus being the person that had the english muffin and now i'm just going to go to oatmeal and eggs maybe that's a healthier breakfast but like if it doesn't last you any long like how it's there's no benefit to it 
So maybe you could just have a healthier McMuffin that you make at home. You put like time into making it. You know what ingredients are in it versus getting it from a drive-through. What are the top three goals you see people have? <clears throat> Weight loss, strength gain, third goal. Those would probably be like the two main ones. Um, I guess some sort of performance like for sport or learning Olympic weightlifting or in improving a Olympic weightlifting numbers or like get fit, which I would guess kind of be like weight loss. Just like starting, like sticking to a routine and like they did in, in the past and getting back into it. So almost like a having exercise be part of their lifestyle again. So I, like all those have different <coughs> priorities, right? So yeah, I mean, that was kind of where I was interested in going, but so yeah, if you're a weight loss, like the number one priority is your what you're eating. So a lot of times people, obviously exercise plays a role in that, but you can't, like we were saying in the last one, you can't out train a bad diet. So what can you do to implement the habits for weight loss? Like, are you able to track food? Are you, do you have a scale where you could measure yourself? Um, like doing the ha the right habits to get towards that goal is it like you have to cook for your family and they only like bad stuff and what you need for your diet like it's too hard to make two separate dinners or whatever um can you afford a meal service um things like that like those are going to be the biggest things versus coming into exercise but like maybe exercise is really all you do need if you could stay consistent with how you're eating. So let's say you, your goal is weight loss and you've weighed yourself kind of on a consistent weekly basis and your weight is the same, like over a month, it doesn't change. So you're probably consuming a good maintenance calories. So if we start an exercise plan and you're burning three to 500 calories a day, then you're gonna be in that deficit. So pound of fat they say is 3500 calories and if you're burning 500 calories a day that should be a pound a week um in theory um if you're not consuming more calories so maybe the exercise program is enough but if you're someone that's gaining weight regularly then first we need to find what that maintenance calorie is just to stay at the same body weight and then can you hit that regularly stay at the same body weight for a period of time then introduce exercise and then maybe that weight will start going down but depending on like where you're at with it could yeah, be so, hard so like really narrowing it down like weight loss would come down to tracking your food and people would mm -hmm. try to act like they don't really like that yeah. but even like well yeah that's like something interesting <clears throat> i just like was reading um if you maybe you don't need to track your food depending on if you could be consistently tracking or like ideally you should track your food, but maybe in conjunction with your body weight, right? So you always want to like the BMR numbers thrown around a lot, but I'd say if for a month you track your weight and it's week to week, the average is pretty much the same. You're probably eating the right number for that weight at least. So but maybe you want to lose 10 pounds. Maybe exercises will get you there alone. Um, and also just the idea of if you're trying to lose weight, 
um, wrapping your head around being hungry at some points versus being full. If you're always full, maybe trying to make that slight hunger, you know, um, instead of tracking every calorie. Just different concepts that are kind of newer to me, but I think have value depending on the person because not everyone wants to track calories or if they do, they probably aren't doing it the most accurately with a scale, which is better than like a measuring cup. I think <clears throat> anybody's goal, I'm always fascinated with what gets results. So if you, if you told me, you, I mean, fill in the blank. If you told me anything, this is how you lose weight and you f- fill in the blank. If it gets results, I think that's ultimately what people are attracted to. Mm-hmm. And then they'll see if it works. But what I'm fascinated with is like what gets results for the most, you know, like mm-hmm. the highest percentage of people. And then you kind of look at that as like your your gold standard. And then you deviate from that for each situation, trying to get people mm-hmm. to somehow fit into that gold standard or why, you know. Because like the example you just used kind of coincides with like what Megan says that they do. They introduce exercise first. Yeah. So now you know the person's burning more calories, their metabolism's elevated. You know, if you're getting a little like post exercise oxygen consumption so you got a boost in metabolism higher percentage of the week then you start to introduce some kind of tracking mechanism so now you're playing the calories in calories out give that some time someone's going to see some body composition yeah so trying to come up with the the gold standard for each situation or someone wants to increase strength in a certain lift you know what's the gold standard train it more frequently increase the volume there's all kinds of different ways you can attack it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like what's the what's the standard? What's the easiest solution that gets the most results for the most people? And then you kind of use that line of best fit. Yeah. And then you adjust it as needed. <coughs> well, either way, it's going to come down to habits too, right? So it's like I had a New Year's resolution to read more. I definitely did not read more. <laughs> but it's like say that is your goal okay, when are you going to read? Like, do you have time to read more? On the toilet. Yeah. So. 10 pages a day on the toilet. So you so you already planned it out, so that's your habit. But like, or if your resolution is to exercise, where is this time going to come from? Where are you going to subtract it from? Are you going to wake up earlier to do it? Are you going to watch less Netflix to do it? Are you, you know, like you have to like figure out where that time is going to come from too. It's one thing to say it, but then it's like kind of have to carve out that time for but see, it. See, that's 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 something simple, and you cut right to the chase with that too. Like, I think people want to get more advanced than that, but that's a really easy, simple question. Mm-hmm. You want to exercise, but where's the time going to come from? Well, right. let's not worry about that right now. I I need to exercise and I need to lose weight. Well, you're like, okay, well, <laughs> when yeah. is that going to happen? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I need to lose weight because I need to exercise. Yeah. But wait, hold on. When are you going to, you know, it's like it hits right at the heart of the matter versus like I think sometimes we can get caught up in Mm -hmm. tangents. For sure. One thing, I forget who said it. It was either like The Rock or Terry Crews. I think someone asked him like if someone is trying to start working out, like what he would suggest. And I think it was 
basically just go to the gym even if you're not going to work out just go to the gym like be in the habit of you're just you're it's like automatic you just drive there after work even if you're just going to do your work there and then at some point you're just in the habit of being there then you could start exercising that time is already dedicated for it so i think that's why the morning people or our members that work out in the morning it's like they wake up and they know it's they're going to the gym right away set the alarm then it's you're going easy. there there's no yeah. decision there's no obstacles that's so again so i guess that's what i'm attracted to is those easy solutions that actually work that you can stick to that end up showing success over time mm-hmm. that yeah 10 pages on the toilet yeah. doesn't take very long that time frame actually kind of adds up it might be a little long to sit there if you're reading something dense but if it's me you know i'm a slow reader so that'd be a 30 minute <laughs> yeah so maybe that doesn't work for you not for me but that might work for like 90 percent of people yeah and then when you see it start to work you're like okay that's an easy go-to mm-hmm. mechanism for that another interesting thing that i heard was some of the research on uh, oxygen to the brain that basically when you start an activity takes about two minutes our bodies are inherently lazy so when you go to start to exercise your brain actually doesn't really enjoy that that your brain wants the blood flow and then eventually when the blood starts to need to go to the working muscles and to the skin because you're performing some activity the brain will eventually release blood flow so it takes about two minutes that's an interesting thing to consider because sometimes you get to the point where the thought of exercising seems just so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't feel like it. We, yeah. hear, we hear that a lot. I'm sore. Two minutes and we'll get you going. So if you can come up with an activity that you can do for two minutes and you can bear that first two minutes of exercise, your body's going to release all that blood flow, those endorphins, mm-hmm. vasodilation starts to happen. Now all of a sudden you're kind of in the mood, but that first two minutes. Yeah. So that rule of thumb is, is interesting for me because if you use that and you communicate that to people and they have that in their tool belt or in the back of their mind, next time they might feel like skipping a session or just got to get through that first two minutes or I just got to drive to the gym yeah, yeah. or put the book by the toilet. Mm-hmm. Then now, now you have the habits yeah. in place that are going to. Yeah awareness too right so like for me for reading i know if i try to read i'll eventually pick up my phone and start scrolling or just like for some reason i have to pick it up and look at something but if i'm reading on my phone it's different because there's no action of picking it up it's just scrolling to the next page type of thing so i found that having a book on my phone even though i'd like rather physically feel the pages like being on the phone i could read more and longer that's cool about so culture when you have a bunch of people that are similar and trying to create like good habits for themselves and then you pick up little tips and tricks and all kinds of various solutions that you can try there's Mm -hmm. really no reason to stop trying right like you might have tried something and it wasn't successful but then okay where did it go wrong and what can you do now learning i set i set the new year's resolution to read blew it well maybe you pick up a tip of you know, read while you're, mm-hmm. you know. Or just change it to audiobook or something if it fits. It's like, why do you want to read if you're trying to learn more? Maybe you could do the yeah. same with an audiobook. Or... Well, audiobooks are cool for me because they're interesting enough, and then that actually would make me want to read. 
yeah, yeah. sometimes the audio stuff is coming so fast and you might be doing something else. You're like, I, I want to hear that again. And then you find yourself going back so right. many times that you're like, I'd rather probably just read that or be able to reference that yeah, like in a, it. in a book. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, it's something that moves you progressively towards yeah, yeah. reading. Yeah, and I read <clears> so slowly. It's much you are more reader. time convenient for me to uh, audiobook. And then like you're saying, if it's good, I'd, I'd go back to the, like, once it's already in my head, I could read it faster. The right. comprehension part is quicker. You're a slow reader. Yeah. I read fast, but I'm like a skimmer. I go for like... I think it's... I get. I have too much thoughts when I'm reading, so I'll like be thinking of something else as... So I'm not comprehending anything, and then I have to go back. Cause, read it a couple yeah. times. Yeah. That's like super dense stuff like that. Like su- super training, for example. Mm-hmm. It's like dense where you read a sentence and you're like, I don't know what that just said. Yeah. To read that look a couple it, look times. it up yeah that's good because you're like verbalizing like that's stuff that i see that you're good at but it's good that you can like verbalize like communicate it so then like people can see the same thing and then like oh yeah that's that's true he is good at that his programs do do that like mm. sometimes i see people like following stuff that you wrote them and i'm like do they even know <laughs> that that's like hard to come up with stuff that's good enough like what? like Someone is severely limited in their exercise abilities and you'll plan like a 70 minute session where they're like busy the whole time, sweating and engaged. Whereas I look at that and I'm like, geez, like where he came up with that, but good for him. (laughs) I'm like, practice. That's that's pretty good. And again, you're not there to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have to basically go off of your feedback of it. Or it's interesting that you can it. even put it together because, like, there would be people where I'd be like, I'm not even going to try to write this before I consult with Kurt because, like, I'm not going to see this person do this. So I'm going to give him a heads up of, like, what mm-hmm. I'm thinking here just so he kind of can give me some good feedback as to whether or not it was accurate or not. Maybe, maybe that makes you better at writing workouts when you don't see it. I think so. Because you know you have to, like, write it in a way – that they'll understand and that's what i saw the most yeah like you're good at that like hands down i don't know if that's just because you started writing it that way or you think that way or i definitely noticed that and i see the opposite people that write stuff were like they couldn't not be there or when you watch somebody interpret it and go through that workout you're like that was not even close oh, like what you wanted the person is not capable of what was being asked of them yeah yeah so it's just like programming within someone's abilities and maybe just a little bit past it but we do have like there's people we've been programming for for a long time like you're saying so to kind of understand it yeah or something innately works for them Mm -hmm. and that's where it's fascinating for me well that's another thing with like a, a new person is they need to learn how to even interpret the workout what are what is three times 10 to 12 mean what is um, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 like what is that um, it's like how do you read the tempo what's A1, A2 versus like just A um, so we have to like educate them on how to go like understand what their workout is so they could do it properly I mean estimating the number of workouts that have been written here by you, by me it's a lot and to think that we're still trying to figure out ways to do it better like that's 
interesting, exciting, whatever you want to call it, but it's, I think it's important too. Mm -hmm. I'm just always looking for better ways to do it. Yeah. And I think I could be wrong, but if anybody is listening, I think we help set the standard because like individualized is really the ultimate, it's that blend of personal training and group and kind of what we're talking about where you may or may not see that person do the workout. Mm -hmm. That is a skill set. And you're not relying on the group to carry the bulk of it or them to modify it, you know, mm -hmm. a ton to get a good workout. It has to be a good workout, you know, relative to that person on that day. It's not easy. For sure. And it is a skill set. And we're always trying to get a little bit better. Yeah, I think it's always just important to have the person's goals in mind and like making sure it's the program is aligned with their goals and not like overreaching to something that doesn't make sense for them. I mean, if they expressed interest in doing some Olympic lifts, then okay, maybe just let them play with it. But for a lot of people, they it might be more frustrating to even try than, you know, it might make that training session worse than better. And if there's no reason, if it doesn't like align with their goals, then could just eliminate that unless they have that itch to try it again or even just do a very basic progression that you know that they could win at so it's less of a frustration and more of a positive it's cool because it checks a lot of those boxes too it mentally keeps it interesting helps them they're progressing so it stays again interesting they get results mm -hmm. so they're enjoying it it's progressive results it's yeah it's not easy to do just practice refining lots of practice always refining all right we gotta give some shout outs to the people that we know listen there's a handful of them that have been listening to uh, most of these kyle dina um zach edith jody katie i think amanda anyone else and if there's anybody else message us let us know if you're if you're in if you're <laughs> listening in secret let us know we like to hear the feedback for sure yeah and thanks for listening all right until the next one